this. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11 says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The greatest understatement in all of Scripture. Uh, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So this is uh, kind of the key text for the season of Lent in the church. And uh, we're starting this Lenten series a little bit later because we've had a rather tricky couple of weeks uh, with the cyclone and all that going on. But as we head into Easter, uh, we really want to uh, focus on this season uh, of Lent. Uh, and it's a time that we remember Jesus, uh, the, the 40 days that he spent in the wilderness prior to his ministry. It's interesting that the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. Sometimes we go into desert places, tricky places, wilderness places, and actually it's the Lord that's led us into these places to form us and to shape us. Um, and so the season of Lent is a time of repentance and of introspection. And uh, I've personally found myself in that space for a bunch of reasons over the last couple of weeks. Um, and that's a, it's a healthy thing. I think with, certainly with all that we've gone through with the cycling and stuff, it's, it's a good idea just to be reflective and introspective around what this brings up for us. Um, Socrates famously said, beware the barrenness of the unexamined life. My journal's been getting a bit of a hammering, and that's a good thing. So um, Lent remembers this time of Jesus in the wilderness, and over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the three different temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness uh, that he really exposed and overcame. Um, and we're going to be drawing from a beautiful book uh, by an author called Henry Nowen called In the Name of Jesus. Uh, and we're not going to do the temptations in order, um, but uh, we're going to be looking at three temptations. Don't you think it's crazy that Jesus was tempted? Like, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I get Jesus's divinity quite easy. Like, I totally get that he was fully God, but I, I wrestle with his, his humanity, that Jesus was also fully human. And, um, you know, we, every human knows what it's like to feel tempted. You know, I mean, every time I drive past KFC or Burger King, you know, it's a strong, there's something deep within me that feels drawn like a little tractor beam to those places of iniquity. Um, but but I just, it really, like, it hit me as I was preparing the text, as I was sitting on it, I'm like, Jesus felt tempted by these shortcuts the devil was offering, by these things that he was enticing. I, I find that extraordinary. I, it's liberating because to feel temptation is not a sin. So that's good news. Um, but, unlike, uh, but unlike me, <laughs> Jesus overcame the temptation that was put in front of him. Um, and these three temptations that we're going to look at are, are temptations that we all have to wrestle with and navigate. Um, they, are, they are 
temptations we really have to engage with because if we don't, there is a danger that we will lose our identity as sons and daughters of God and find our identity in these other places. And Henry, Henry Nowen suggests that the three temptations for Jesus wrapped up in these things that the devil offers him are the temptation to be relevant, to be spectacular, and to be powerful. Sorry, relevant, significant, and powerful. Um, and so uh, there's a temptation that we can build our lives where we just give in to those temptations. And within the context of how you do ministry, which again, just a reminder, priesthood of all believers, so we're all in ministry. I'm, I just get paid for a bit of it. Not as much as I like, that's all right. Uh, you know, but it's like, but all of us are in ministry. So how we build this church and how we go about our lives of ministry can either be based on this deep desire that we're relevant and spectacular and powerful, or it can be the way of Jesus. And so this is why it's actually a super important uh, uh, series for us to engage with. Um, and I think this is like the way of Jesus is so humble and so servant hearted and so concerned for the marginalized and the least of these. It's so stunning. Um, and I think this is why the Asbury revival that we've been talking about a little bit over the last couple of Sundays is so beautiful because it wasn't in a mega church that God poured out his spirit and it wasn't with the snazziest worship team in the States. It was in this humble chapel with a bunch of ordinary Gen Z kids leading worship and giving. It's so simple and so humble and so beautiful and so like Jesus. So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's helpful for us because if there's any pie the Lord is teaching us how to eat, it's the humble pie. As a church, as the Western church, and within the context of this community, I love how comfortable and familiar and regularly we are eating the humble pie. And once more, this sermon is an invitation for us to go to the buffet and of all the different pies on offer to pick the humble pie, the way of Jesus. Amen. So, uh, and, and sorry, the reason why I think that's so beautiful is because humility leads to healing, it leads to blessing. But here's this. God is drawn to humble people. He's drawn to the humble and he opposes the proud. So in a proud culture, uh, I think there's something about God, like God, to Tyson, like the sermon you heard last week, which again, wasn't the plan, but, um, but, but God comes where he's wanted. And it's like, and so like when we cultivate a humble heart, God's drawn to that. So Henry Nowen in his book, In the Name of Jesus, uh, says this, the second temptation, which is the one that we're looking at today, to which Jesus was exposed, was precisely the temptation to do something spectacular, something that could win him great applause. Throw yourself from the parapet of the temple and let the angels catch you and carry you in their arms. But Jesus refused to be a stuntman. He did not come to prove himself. He did not come to walk on hot coals, swallow fire, or put his hand in a lion's mouth to demonstrate that he had something worthwhile to say. Don't put the Lord your God to the test, he said. Now, again, I can't speak for what your day job is, but there is a universal desire in all of us to be significant, to be spectacular, to be somebody. Um, and sadly, in the church, I think that this has really um, caused a lot of damage to uh, what this whole, the culture of this whole place is about. So I can't speak for your profession, but I can speak to my vocation as a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, and share a little bit about my story about how I've had to wrestle with this temptation, this desire that would be spectacular or significant or somebody. Now, uh, as I grew up in the 90s, great decade, it turned out, in hindsight, 
pre-mobile, the last little window before the mobile phone came and wrecked our lives. An era of great music. You know, just a fantastic uh, era in so many ways. Um, baggy jeans, you know, little shell necklaces. There was a whole lot going on that was just so cool at that time. And in the church scene, there was a lot of fantastic stuff happening as well. But there had been a little bit of a shift uh, in, in terms of what really came to the forefront as I grew up. <clears throat> now, in previous generations, the heroes of the Christian faith were people like missionaries who gave their lives to go to, to serve cross-culturally uh, in, in far-flung places. Um, and so in my generation, there was just one or two guys left, like Tony Campolo. I don't know if you guys remember him, who would call people to pour out their lives for the poor. And many people went into ministry, uh, mission vocations because of his ministry. And the other people that were big heroes before my generation in lots of ways were people that could preach the word well, expositors of the word. <clears throat> However, in my generation, um, the, the heroes there were two heroes, there were two groups that were just like, oh, that's what I want to be. If this is what it means to be Christian, sign me up. We're the rock star worship leaders and the rock stars at Parachute. It was like, oh, man. And so, like, you grow up in that environment. And what are the dreams that get placed in your heart in terms of being significant for Jesus? It's like worship leader or rock star. You know, so I'm like, that's what I want to be for Jesus, you know. And it's like, you know, I want, I want him to get the glory. Like a little bit, for me, would be okay. Like, I'd be able to deal with it. You know, if I was on stages in front of a thousand people rocking out, you know, like I could do, but mainly for him, you know, a little bit for me, a little bit mainly for his glory, you know. It would be pretty cool though. Uh, and so, uh, you know, as I, um, as I go through those teenage years and into my 20s, I went to Bible college. Thank the Lord Almighty for the clarity of his voice to go to that space. But deep in my heart, it was like, I just want to be, on the stage, either as a significant worship leader or a rock star. And guys, I got close. Oh, I got so close. So close. So close. So like, um, there's this band, if you, some of you guys heard this, tell me this, I've heard tell the story a couple of times, but this big deal band back in the day, rocked out Parachute Main Stage. They were my favorite Kiwi Christian band, like Rage Against the Machine meets Christians, and they're awesome. And then like, it's like a movie. It's like their bass player quit. And then like I knew the the um, guitarist's dad was at Bible college. He said, why don't you go and audition? And I put on the coolest clothes I had. And I wore my cap backwards. And I walked into that audition. And I rocked out as hard as I could. And I got in the band. And they're like, mate, I don't know if you're going to be able to stay at Bible college because we're about to do the Vans Warped Tour. Someone knows what that's like. You know, and we've got Big Day Out coming up. And we've got Parachute Festival coming up. And this label in the States has just signed us. And it's like, and I'm like, my dreams are coming true for Jesus. Hallelujah. This is so awesome. And I was with the band for a bit of a, about a month, and then I wasn't good enough, so they dumped me. Too soon, still. I was like, was it still raw? No, I've dealt with it. Um, so, okay, that dream turned to ashes. So, you know, and then, then a couple of years later, one of the most significant leaders of the church in the United Kingdom came to New Zealand, and he took a shining to me. And he's a guy that's released He's the guy that's opened up the doors for just about all the major worship leaders in the UK. He took me under his wing, and I was like, oh, this is happening. This is so exciting. I'm going to be a famous worship leader for Jesus. And he really took a shine to me and all the rest of it. And then he's a man of incredible wisdom and depth and um, annoyingly 
great discernment. So he picked up there might have been a little ego in some of my uh, dreams, and the temperature dropped quite dramatically and quite suddenly in terms of him taking me under the wing and opportunities opening up. And again, I was like, oh, no, I'm nobody. Oh, no, I'm crushed. And friends, I look back, the kindest, most merciful, wonderful thing that God has done in my life is make sure I didn't walk through those doors. I am so grateful because I've made lots of mistakes in my life, stacks of them. But one thing I've got pretty good at over the years is that when I'm hurting, I run to Jesus. And so I ran to Jesus over and over again. And he slowly began to heal my heart. And he slowly began to, um, to shape and form me into someone who didn't need to be significant in the eyes of the world because he knew he was significant in the eyes of his heavenly father. The most liberating thing that's ever happened. As Ronald Rollheiser says, there was a conspiracy between God and nature to mellow the soul. And that's exactly what happened for me. I'm just going to pepper this with random things Jesus said that really burn. Luke 11. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. <laughs> Unless I'm just going to pop these in randomly. Because like, I read that sort of stuff. And again, you're a priest. You're the priesthood of all believers. So don't look at Pharisees and the, don't think of full-time ministers. Think of like how much do we love to be a big deal. And Jesus is like, man, there's something... You know, Jesus struggled with this in these religious settings. Um, and so uh, I began to really have to wrestle with this. And, um, and really, I've said this many times, but for me, the journey with Jesus was, a, I think, is a lot about the Easter uh, story, which is why it's so beautiful with intentionally going into this. Following Jesus is all about picking up your cross and dying, like just yielding your whole life to him. It's, it's painful. It's, there's, sometimes it feels like dreams are dying. But the story doesn't end on Friday. The story ends on Sunday with new life bursting into your world. And that's been the case for me. Uh, and so as I was listening to this uh, a podcast late last year, Pete Scazzaro, who's an amazing man, was being interviewed. And he started to explore this whole journey with Jesus about deeply trusting him and about uh, letting go of these desires that we have in our heart to be somebody and just choosing to, to, to find our deep satisfaction in him. And this is what he said in the podcast. I wrote this down in my journal word for word. I find it so profound. It says, to follow Jesus, Pete Scazzaro said, is really about detachment, not being attached to anything but Jesus. It's very difficult. And this is why silence as a spiritual discipline is so helpful. It helps us let go. So that we could become like Mary in Luke 1. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as it said. Like just however you, like just Lord use me. Lord, I'm loose change in your hands. Just spend me however you want to spend me. Now Mary is aware that her obedience will cost her reputation. She may lose her marriage. But and this is a thing. But for, you know, for Mary... Um, there's this obedience to God and this prayer rises, Lord, let it be. Then Pete Scazzaro goes on. This journey, this is the key thing, means that our validation is not coming from externals, but we live in a place of surrender, letting go. Just following Jesus and not having an agenda about how that should look in terms of results. 
You can have goals, absolutely, but you hold them lightly. You can have direction, but you don't have to have anything. He's like, and he's talking to pastors in this podcast, what if God wants to break up your church and give it to a whole bunch of other churches around the city? Lord, let it be as you will. Like that's the level he's talking to. Some of you guys have gone through that, I know. But it's like that's a profound sense of deep trust in God and I think profound freedom in our identity being based in who God is and how he sees us. I find it absolutely stunning. Jesus over and over and over again points to this great need for humility that we would choose rather than the way of being significant doing this, he invites us to, to choose the way of a servant and to give our lives away in love. One example of many, many, many in the scriptures is Mark chapter 10. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is, again, just such a liberating but profound moment in Jesus' teaching because he goes on to live it to the point where he dies on the cross. And this is why as we track towards Easter, it's so beautiful that we look at the cross, that we gaze upon the cross, and that we see the King of kings and the Lord of lords stretched out on that cross, that we see the all-powerful creator of the universe, the holy God, humbly stretched out on that cross in love, and that we marvel at the humility and marvel at the mercy and marvel at the love. Isn't it amazing that God that this would be who he is, that we could gaze upon the cross and see the true nature of God. I mean, listening to this Matt Redman song a lot, his whole he's released a beautiful album all about the cross, but he says this in the song Unconditional, I don't have to earn it, could never deserve it. You are my joy, you are my joy. The end of all striving, a new way of living, you are my joy, you are my joy. I just love that line, You, the end of all striving. Isn't that amazing? Like how much of our energy, I think, is spent up trying to prove that we're worthy to other people when actually when we get that revelation of who God is and how much he loves us, it's the end of all striving and we can be completely free. Brian Zand in his beautiful uh, devotional uh, Lenten journey, The Unvarnished Jesus, says this, If our thinking about the kingdom of God is infected with American, I would just say Western, notions of greatness and bigness, we will inevitably have a deeply distorted Christianity. We will in fact have a Christianity that pursues the very things that Jesus taught were fleeting and meaningless. It's this kind of distortion that gives rise to Christian celebrity culture. Yes, some Christians will gain notoriety, but it should be for Christ-likeness, not for celebrity based on bigness. Bigness is not a Christian value. In the 13th century, St. Francis of Assisi was one of the most well-known people in Europe, but he was famous for his poverty, his humility, his peaceableness, his Christ-likeness. This is a far cry from being a big star in Christian celebrity culture. That's a good line, eh? It's so important how we see the way of Jesus. I was having a yarn with Charlotte all about all this stuff a few weeks back, and she said this very profound statement. 
She said, what if life with Jesus is about letting go more and more and more until we stand before him as we die with nothing but our true selves and him? That's deep. Charlotte's a deep woman. What if that's what the what Christian life of Jesus is all about? Like actually trusting him where we just let go and we... Um, we don't have to control others, manipulate others towards our, our, the end we desire. That we, rather than trying to hold on, that life in Jesus is about letting go, loving him, and loving and blessing others. And that's what I think Paul's getting at in Romans 12 when he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's letting it go and deeply trusting in God. And this is why the season of Lent is so important for us as a church. Everyone's like, are you jet-lagged? You're very mellow this morning. So I know this is the season for us to be reflective, to consider what Jesus has done for us, and to choose once more to pick in repentance, pick up our cross, follow him, and trust him as, uh, as we follow his way. So as I come into land, I want to talk about um, a couple of things that we can do to lay down that deep need that we have to be spectacular or significance. But I want to make one thing super clear um, as we come into land and as we focus on a couple of these things. Firstly, um, our Heavenly Father does not want us to live a life where we feel insignificant. That's not about you little worm, you little ant of meaninglessness, you know, it's like, it's not, that's not the vibe we're going for here. But God wants us to walk into a life that is filled with deep significance because of who we are in him. That's his burning desire. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Uh, Henry Nouwen says this, if you are the beloved of God, you can live with an enormous amount of success and an enormous amount of failure without losing your identity because your identity is that you are the beloved. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? So here's the thing. I've mentioned this before, that there's a difference, I think, between significance and prominence. Every single one of us is deeply significant in God's eyes. And there's a few people that are called to prominent ministries in the nation and perhaps the world. And guys, I mean, some of you guys know I was in the States at a conference this week. And, um, and I've had to, like, I was writing this, like, in the bigness of American Christian culture. So that was interesting. Um, but also, uh, I was like, man, I went along to that conference with 12 other New Zealand pastors. Um, and this is, you know, when, like, uh, when it's like David's, like, the least from the tribe of Benjamin, and Benjamin's the least of the tribe of Israel, you know? And I'm like, so you've got New Zealand, which is the smallest, like, nation represented there. And then amongst those 12 pastors, I was the lowest on the totem pole, you know? So I'm like, I'm just so nobody. Uh, and, but, you know, like, I just, I was so proud of myself, actually, over the week, because I was like, I would have so struggled with this 15 years ago, but it's like, the sense of, like, I'm insignificant, in this giant world of Christianity and Christian leaders and all the rest of it. But thank God for what he's done in my heart, that I could wake up every morning and I could just uh, sense his love for me and that I was a big deal in his eyes. And then just the Lord reminded me, like, mate, your job is just to go around and bless people and love people. And the job of the Christians is to love the person that's in front of them. 
So rather than just feeling insecure, which makes me focus on me, I was like, how can I bless? How can I give words to people, pray for people, encourage people? And I just had a great week doing that. And um, in fact, one other little, oh, no, I won't tell that story. That's between me and Jesus. No, 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 no. Um, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm committed to radical obedience, and I want to I wanna honor that. There was a little moment between me and God that was very healing in terms of some stuff that happened. And, um, and here's the thing, though, is like what I believe God wants to give us is um, significant dreams for the kingdom, for this place. Um, like I, I want to make, I, I want my life to count in the kingdom of God. Like, man. Life is so short, and then we have eternity. <laughs> and, uh, and the decisions we make now like matter for eternity in terms of the impact of our life and the fruit of our life and all that sort of stuff. And we get formed in a culture that says like, the more powerful you are and the more followers you have on social media and the more money you have and the higher you are up in your company and all that sort of stuff, that's the stuff that matters. But what if it's not? What if that doesn't matter? What if matters is living a life of blessing to serve the least and the last and the lost and to pour our lives out for the kingdom? Right? Like New Zealand needs people dreaming kingdom dreams and like big dreams. We were like, come on, Lord, do something in this nation. Like nothing's going to happen this, you know, in this region or this nation if we don't believe there is a God who can step into this place and make a difference. And then if God's moved at Asbury and he's moved in the past, he can move in this place. But it certainly begins with a bunch of people that have some faith in their heart that God hears and answers prayers and he wants to work through a people that believe he's the God of the impossible. That we dream the impossible in this region. Like this, again, a cyclone thing's given me a greater love for this region. I'm sure it's done that the same for you. We love this place. We love this whenua. So uh, I'm praying that we have kingdom dreamers. I pray that even this morning, like God would release kingdom dreams in us. But here's the thing. We are not to love the dream more than we love the heavenly father that gave us the dream. And that's the danger that can happen is that our identity gets caught up in what we do for God rather than whose we are in God. But we've got to continue to cycle back to whose we are in God so that we can live with an enormous amount of failure or an enormous amount of, of success and still be grounded in the fact that we are the beloved of God and our identity has not been shaken or changed. So how do we overcome this temptation to be significant or spectacular? How can we live lives of servant-hearted humility where our lives are about Jesus? And how do we join with Jesus in resisting this great temptation, which has so perverted and munted the church over many, many centuries? Well, I've got a few ideas. Uh, Henry Nowen's got a couple. The first thing I want to say is this. Uh, I think it's so important that, uh, I'm just trying to remember what my next point is at Rwanda Community. Thank you very much. <clears throat> that we anchor our lives in genuine community, Christian community, where we are known and loved for who we are. You know, again, I was saying to Mike actually just before the in the break, it's like, you know, it was great going away and there's kind of connections you make with different people and that sort of stuff, but I love coming back. And one of the reasons I love coming back is that this is a community where I'm known. Not just for like my strengths, but for my weaknesses as well. Like that's true community. Because often, you know, you can have these pretend relationships where you present the best to one another, but anchoring yourself in genuine community where you're deeply known. Uh, and that, and if it's a real community, it means that you've had to forgive someone. Like um, there's something about uh, about community 
where um, like the irritation of community forms us into people of love. But also it's so healing when you're truly known in community. So uh, I've got this classic Bonhoeffer quote here. person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. What he means by that, and I've seen this happen many, 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 many times over the last 20 years of full-time ministry. Someone will come into our community, will come into a church, and have expectations about what the community should be like. And I'm like, and what the leader should be like. Can I just say this? If you're fresh to our community, you are going to go through a, a season of profound disillusionment in this place. But if you push through that, you will step into something so deep and profound that it will bring healing to you. Something so beautiful. If you step through that, and then you actually come to this place, rather than having expectations on the community, you come into the community to love and to build it and to foster it. So I would say, um, you know, I... I can go speak in all these other places. I get invitations to do different things. But I come home to a community where I'm known. And so there might be a couple of other people in New Zealand that think Sam's a big deal. My mum's one of them. There might be one or two others. But you know what? I come back into this place, and it's like because I'm anchored in community, um, it's just healing. Because I'm known, and there's something about Christ's love for me revealed in this place. That's so it's the same for you. That you could be deeply known in this place. So, so give yourself to real community, not to fake community. Secondly, deeply trust God with the dreams that he has given you. Um, there, uh, there are dreams that God places in our hearts, but then, like Joseph, he normally has to refine the dreamer. And so, you know, there have been things that God has placed on my heart, dreams that I have that God has refined. So those very dreams in my 20s that were channeled into rock star places, there's stuff from those that season of my life that burns in my heart in terms of what I want to see take place here in New Zealand. But what God's had to do is refine the dreamer. But what happens sometimes is that we can go through times where we feel deeply disappointed in God in terms of how our life has played out. And we were like, what's going on here? What's happened? And literally, I was in counseling a number of years ago before we moved to the Bay. And I was like, I've got all these things I feel like I'm called to do. But because of all these the circumstances around me, I can't see how this is going to play out. And there, there lies the danger where you can try and control and manipulate people to your ends because you're frustrated about the things that are on your heart that haven't been yet been able to be outworked. But the, the counsel I had was brilliant. And she was like, you know what? This is just an invitation to jump into the trust in God bucket. And you know, she said that. It made me realize that I didn't actually trust God to, uh, to outwork the dreams he had placed in my heart in his timing. And I had to repent. And uh, it was so healing, so deeply healing. And you know what? In the last little while, God's just begun to open some doors for me um, to begin to live out some of the dreams that, uh, and it's, I think for the second half of my life, there's a sense where God's refined the dreamer enough that he's just now beginning to trust some stuff with me. But it doesn't change this journey of just continually to deeply trust God. And here's the thing, when, when, when God does that work in your life, genuinely you want, 
you move from being wanting to be the big deal, and you see this in the life of Joseph, to seeing actually other people blessed and other people encouraged, and ultimately their goal will be glorified through our lives. So if you've got dreams in your heart and you're like, these haven't been outworked yet, can I invite you to deeply trust in God? And that in your insignificance, in that season of the wilderness, he's reforming and shaping something in you that is worth all the tea in China for what it will mean down the track for your character. Because God trusts humble people that are deeply dependent on him and deeply trust him during those wilderness times. Firstly, get into community. Secondly, choose to deeply trust in God with the dreams he's placed in your heart. Don't take shortcuts. Third thing is get in proximity to the poor. Get in proximity to the poor. We are called to be people that go to the margins, that go hang out with the least of these. And, you know, Matthew 25 says that what you do to the least of these, you do to Jesus. Who's the least of these in your workplace? Who's the least of these in your school? Who's the least of these in your lives? These are the people that we're called to especially gravitate towards and love. We're actually called to, to, to go and love the people of insignificance of our culture. because And there's something about as we do that, we actually meet Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? How's that going? How's that going? Let's keep choosing to love people of insignificance. It's something very humbling about that in terms of how we spend our time. But this is, again, the heart and the way of Jesus. Fourthly, no surprise here, cultivate a deep interior life with God. There it is. Like, When's he going to bang the devotional drum? Here it is, friends. Get the pom-poms ready. A deep devotional life is where God speaks words of belovedness deep into our being, and it frees and heals us. Um, and, you know, uh, Jesus, uh, John Mark Comer actually pointed this out in his book, Live No Lies, that Jesus wasn't actually, he may have been in a weak place physically when he was tempted, but he was in a very strong place spiritually. He'd spent 40 days in prayer and fasting, soaking in his belovedness, letting the Heavenly Father love him. He had pressed into the heart of God, to the side of God, and that uh, meant that he was strong to overcome these very real temptations that he's faced. And so a deep devotional life will free us, it will heal us, and it will help us overcome this drive that we often have within us to be significant in the eyes of others because we will hear in that place of devotion, uh, that devotional space, you are my son, you are my daughter, and you I am well pleased. The most healing words that could ever be spoken over us are spoken over us by our Heavenly Father. And so with all the, um, you know, as I look back over my life, um, with all the ups and downs and with some broken dreams behind me, I can tell you this hand on heart, I have never felt more loved by God. I've never felt more loved by God than I have in this season of my life. Through all the ups and downs and disappointments, He is enough. He is so enough. And I find myself, Loving that devotional place because I get to take a seat at the table with the Trinity. The Trinity is just swirling with love for one another, with joy, speaking hope over one another. It's just the most freeing place. And like, I just feel loved by the Trinity. I get to be part of that. And so I'm like, who knows what God wants to do through our church and through, but through you and through me. But at the end of the day, this is the most important place that we can position ourselves to live lives of grace and freedom. To, and, and that's, friends, is why it's the most contested 
place in your life, right? It just, it's tough. You've got to fight for it, but it's worth it for, for what happens in terms of our identity in that place. The best teams, my friend Mike Pallavacci said, are this, and I'd say the best churches are this. The best churches are made up of a bunch of nobodies who love everybody and serve anybody and don't care about becoming a somebody. I'll say that again. The best teams, the best churches are made up of a, bu- of a bunch of nobodies who love everybody, serve anybody, and don't care about becoming a somebody. I love it. That's the best teams, the best churches, the best people are the people who just are like, I'm a bit of a nobody, but I'll love everybody, serve anybody, and I don't really care about becoming a somebody. Just think it's so liberating. That's, I just want that in our church. That we'd, And some of us will be called to prominent places of leadership and all that. So it doesn't matter. We're all deeply significant in his eyes. We're all called to love everybody, serve anybody. At the end of... Um, I come into land land with this. Sick with the runway a long time. Um, at the end of Revelation, Pete Gregg was talking about this in a talk that I heard this week. It just moved me to tears. Revelation, there's two things that get that that get poured out as worship. You know, worship means he's worthy. That's what worship ultimately means. He's worthy of our songs, of our hearts, of our lives. But in Revelation, there's two things that get laid before Jesus as as especially beautiful expressions of worship. Um, the first is crowns, and the second thing is wounds. And so we give him our crowns, our successes. Like, it's just nothing compared to who you are, so you're worthy of it all. We just lay it all down before you, Jesus. But then wounds, and this is, this is when Pete Craig got me good this week, where he's like, he's worthy of the wounds that we will go through to faithfully follow the way of Jesus in this highly secular culture that we're in now. It's worth the wounds. It's worth the wounds of rejection because he's worthy. He's worthy of the rejection. He's worthy of the misunderstanding. He's worthy of the financial pressures. He's worthy of the discouragement. He's worthy of the sacrifice. He's worthy of it all. So I'm like, I just want to live my life as a living sacrifice because he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. Crowns, wounds, he's worthy. He's worthy. And so this morning, um, I would love us to once more, in a sense, in this Lenten season, come to a place where it's no longer important about how known we are, but everything in us wants to make Jesus known, for him to be the famous one, for him to be the person. Psalm 84 would be, in our hearts, that we would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked, where we just lay our lives down for him afresh. And so for ministry this morning, uh, Jen, would you mind coming up and just playing? And um, For ministry this morning, I just there's a couple of groups I've had uh, on my heart, and I want to invite us to, um, in a second I'd love to pray for us all, but I'd love... Uh, for some of us to respond this morning by coming forward. And we'd just love to pray because there's a couple of things I sense the Lord wanting to do. Firstly, I just had had a sense that for some of you, there's been dreams that God has given you and the stuff that that there's these longings and desires in your heart, but they haven't come to pass yet. And there's a grief that you're carrying. And uh, this invitation this morning is that you would deep 
deeply, deeply trust God. And that you'll say this morning yes to that journey of deeply trusting him with these things he's placed on your hearts that you're yet to see outworked. Um, the second group, I just sense there's some people here this morning where you feel exhausted because you feel like you're striving and straining and any success that you've had just hasn't been enough. And ultimately, because I think deep down you know that it never will be, and that this morning that you would come to Jesus and you would rest and you would say, I want my identity to be so caught up in you that all these things that appeal for allegiance and that appeal to be my identity as this somebody that does this, that, or the other, that in a sense you'd lay that down as a crown before the Lord this morning and that you would just rest in him and trust in him. Uh, and the third, uh, there's a number of people here that you know that you deeply need a fresh revelation of how loved you are by God, then a sense that there's a there's a sense where you're just like, oh, I need, I just need to know I'm loved. I I need to rest in that love, and I feel like I've just felt a bit distant from God, and that's made it tough uh, in terms of just resting in the belovedness of God. So let's stand together. Let me pray uh, for all of us, and then in a second, invite if one of those three, and there may be other things the Lord is speaking to you. If you sense the Holy Spirit touching you in any way then I would uh, invite you to respond in obedience again. This is just an expression of humility before the Lord to come and say, I want, to, uh, I want to, to trust in you and respond in obedience. But let me just pray for us all this morning. Lord Jesus, in the same way that you were tempted by, this, by the enemy to be spectacular and significant in the eyes of others and to shortcut your ministry, by, by pursuing that route. We know that deep down in all of us, there is that deep desire uh, for, uh, for the same uh, sense of, of significance and to be spectacular. And there can be a drive and ambition in us. There can be sometimes a deep disappointment in how our life's turned up. It can manifest in lots of ways. But Lord Jesus, this morning, we just want to come before you and, uh, and rest in our belovedness and we want to trust in you, and we just want to, in a sense, yield our lives afresh to you, and just deeply trust in who you are, and in your timing, and in whose you are. Lord, I just pray just come by your Spirit, and just, just gently minister your love to every one of us, that we are so significant in your eyes, that you would die for us, that you love us, that you rejoice over us with singing, that you know the hairs on our head, the details of our lives. You are, you're, you're so concerned for us. You care for us. And so I just pray, Lord Jesus, for a deep sense of your peace to permeate our being, and that all these things that we may look to to uh, be a big deal would just be exposed for what they are, and that we would just know that we are a big deal in your eyes, and that's enough. And then, Lord, out of that place of belovedness, that we would just live a life blessing others, serving others, that we would care for the poor, that we would have a heart for the marginalized and the least of these, that you would just, that we would live lives of faithful humility, faithful servant-heartedness as we pursue and follow the God of the universe who chose to become a humble servant himself. We follow the way of Jesus, the way of humble servant-heartedness. So free us this morning and give a deep peace in our hearts as we, uh, as we sit with this beautiful word of hope that we find in this gospel. Thank you, Lord.